0: Good morning, folk. Good morning. Good morning. I want to talk to you for a while this morning about the greatest gift. It's not a typical Christmas message, but I want to speak about the greatest gift. Lord Jesus, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing unto you. For I ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to walk into my text. It starts like this. We're not really sure when the Lord Jesus left Nazareth to go south because there's no hint given in Scripture. But we do know that having gotten in the southern regime, he went to Beth Arbor. Now, Beth's house, harbor, happens just to be the name of the, the valley which is given to the Jordan Valley. Some people call it The desert, but it's more than the desert. But what was significant about that place at that particular time was that's where John was preaching. And John was baptizing. And because of his message, it is presumed that it was getting close to Yom Kippur, Because for 40 days before Rosh Hashanah, there was 40 days of preparation, of the searching of the heart, of the looking into your mind to make sure that you've been living rightly. Then there came the 10 days of awe, which led up to Yom Kippur. And so because of the message of John, it is presumed, that that was the period of time that the Lord Jesus went to visit with John. You know what happened? He went there. He got baptized. When he got baptized, there was a twofold administration. First of all, there came the dove which rested upon him. Now, how come the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove? while on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in a flame of fire. Well, he came upon the disciples because he came to burn up the dross. But when he came to Jesus, there was no dross to burn up. And so he came in the form of a dove. The second witness was that of the voice that came from heaven the voice said, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. from there, the Holy Spirit took him to the time of trial, sometimes called the temptation. And having overcome the enemy in those arenas, I come to my text. The word simply says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside of Galilee. He taught in the synagogues. And everyone praised him. Then he went to the hill country of Nazareth, where he was brought up. (laughs) Nazareth. What a pokey little village it was. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. Though some people try to link it because of Nazarene, but that really is a stretch of the imagination. It's just um, there. But it was a significant village. Though very small. For several reasons. Number one, it... Was a village which was committed to the word of the Lord. Four miles distant was the place called Seferis. Seferis was the cultural center for Greek, for Hellenism. It was the place of the building beautiful facilities. In fact, some people think that Joseph worked. At but the Jews refused to call it Seferis because of its Greek background. They call it Seferi. Seferi simply means the bird. Why would they call a village the bird? Well, because the village was poked right up on the corner of a hill on the crest of a hill, looking over, so it looked like a little nest. Up the coast of Sifiri. But on the other side of Nazareth, there was Tiberius. If Sepphoris was Greek, Tiberius was Roman. It was the headquarters for the Roman garrison. And here was this porky little place called Nazareth, resisting the elements of Greece and resenting the influence of Rome. And here the Lord returns home to this pokey little place, a place which is committed. Even though very, very small, they built a synagogue so that they might study the word of the Lord, they might read the scripture. This is where my text really comes in. And the Lord. It says, "On the Shabbat, he went to the synagogue, as was His custom." Ah, the synagogue service. What a service. They had to have at least ten men who'd gone through the rites of bar Mitzvah to be able to hold the service. And so the first thing that the the president or the ruler of the synagogue would do, he count the men. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, yes, a seven, nine, ten. We can have the service we got 10 men. It didn't matter how many ladies were there. It had to have 10 men. And as soon as they'd taken the count, then he would call the cantor. And the cantor would come up and lead the people in singing some of the psalms of praise. And there they'd worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. They'd sing and chant at the top of their voices. And at the appropriate time, the president or the ruler of the synagogue would utter a prayer, and he turned towards what they called the ark. And there at the ark, he open the doors as whispering a prayer, and remove one of the Torah scrolls and prepare to read the Torah reading for that week. And as they'd read the Torah reading for that week, the people would bless God for the bread that came down from heaven. They thanked God for the reading of the word. And then carefully he'd roll up the scroll again and return it to the keeper of the scrolls who put it back in the ark. The cantor would come and lead them in some prayers, the psalms, the prayers for the psalms. They'd sing some of those songs, and then they'd have a second reading. Only this time, it's not from the Torah; it's what they call the half Torah. It's the, from the writings or from the prophets. The head or the ruler of the synagogue would look to see if there's a, a visitor. And if there's a visitor, then, then he'd give the privilege, please come and read the designated text. This particular day, they saw Jesus. He's a homeboy. He was one of them. Invited him. Come and read the text. And so the Lord stepped forward, retrieved the scroll from the keeper of the scrolls. And this day happened to be the scroll of Isaiah. Am I boring you? Give me a few more minutes and I'll do my best. He took the scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah. And he did something extremely strange. In fact, what he did was a no-no. Instead of turning to the designated tech, to read what everybody in the synagogue was expected him to read because they knew the liturgy off by heart. Instead of reading from the text, he turned and began to another passage and began to read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Ah, Luke quotes the Lord Jesus in verse 18, and he simply says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now that's a delightful introduction. It's really good, but church, it's not good enough. Because that's not what the Lord Jesus said that day. The Lord Jesus was not speaking from a Greek text. He was not looking at the Septuagint. He was reading the Hebrew text, he began. He started up by simply saying, "Ruach Adonai." The words would resonate through that congregation the spirit of Adonai. Now, the Jews use the term Adonai as a replacement for the Tetragrammaton. Now, the Tetragrammaton is a $20 word which simply means the four letters. Only theologians can come up with words like that. And so normally when you read that title in Scripture, it's either Adonai, and then they add to it Elohim. And if it's going to be a total title, it's going to be Adonai, Elohim, Sevaot, the Lord, the God Almighty, or the Lord of hosts. But that's not what the Lord said. the lord looking at the scroll though he didn't need the scroll he who was the living word had the ability to quote it without any effort whatsoever not simply because he had a good memory it's because it was the essence of who he is and what he was the lord Looked and said these words: Ruach, Adonai, Yod He, Vav He. That is the inevitable word. That's the title that Adonai is supposed to replace. It's a name which is unmentionable. It's a name that no one really knew how to pronounce. In fact, we still don't know how to pronounce it. Sometimes we call it Yahweh. If you're Marty, you call it Yahweh. Or if you're a commoner like me, you call it Jehovah. yod He vav he Jesus used the word. The name, the title. Only the high priest knew how to pronounce that name. And he was only allowed to whisper it on one day a year. The day of atonement. Yet here is Jesus standing before the people standing to honor the word. And he simply says... Adonai Yodhe. That does mean anything to us. But the sages are convinced that at the mention of that name, it creates an energy force. It causes an energy zone. There comes a zing at the sound of that name. What yod hair thoth is in the Old Testament. Jesus is in the new. When you mention the name Jesus, though because of our human limitations and because of our earthiness and because of the limitedness of our spirit, we are not cognizant of the power that takes place at the mention of that name. I want you to know, at the whisper of his name, every member of heaven, every member of hell, heaven rejoices and hell trembles because there's something about that name. There's something about that name. Whisper it with me, Jesus. It doesn't matter what language you're using. If I was home in Wales, it would to be Yessimaur, the great Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. In Texan, it's Jesus. <laughs> but there's something about that name that resonates in the atmosphere that causes the heart to rejoice. That stimulates the mind and causes the spirit to leap simply because of the name which is above every name Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. But the Lord didn't stop there. Not only did the Lord simply say, Roh Adonai Yahweh. I don't know if that's the the correct pronunciation. Adonai Yahweh. He went on to simply say, The Lord anointed me. Mashach. And he used the name again. So for the second time, in one sentence, The people of that congregation heard the name of God for the first time. No wonder the atmosphere was electrified. No wonder there was a stirring of every heart. No wonder there was a quickening of every mind and imagination. The name! How dare he use the name! Who taught him the name? In fact, many of the early rabbis claimed that the reason why Jesus performed all the miracles was simply because he had discovered how to pronounce the sacred name. Because there's power in that name. There's victory in that name. There's dynamite in that name. It's a name which is above every name. It's the name of Jesus. Friend, whisper it with me, please. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Say it again. There's something about that name as you whisper it, something is happening to you. Something is happening in you. And something is happening for you, for the glory of his name. And Jesus said, I want you to know, this day is this scripture being made manifest before your very eyes, they were reeling with shock. Because you see, friend, when you come into the living presence of Almighty God, there's only one way to respond, and that's to bow in reverence. To receive and recognize his reverence. However, on that day, rather than receiving him in reverence, they repudiated him with a spirit of rejection. Because as soon as they'd finished the service, They took him to the precipice of precipitation that they might push him over the cliff and destroy him. He had broken their tradition. He had sounded forth a new sound in the giving of the name. They failed to hear what he was saying, and they failed to appreciate what he was offering because the Lord went on to offer six wonderful gifts. Let me just touch on them. Luke records it this way. Now, let me read from Isaiah. He said, To preach the good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, the opium of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There's no way I'm going to touch those six. So let me just touch a couple of them. The Lord is not making an appeal, the Lord is stating a fact. And it's important for you to understand when he said he gave good news to the poor. The Hebrew term, anor, literally means to those who are depressed. Anyone here ever been depressed? Don't be embarrassed, it's a common malady. For people, there's a word for people who are depressed. The Lord said, I've got a good word. Ah, but Luke is a Greek term, and the Greek term means to be crouched over, bent over. You're breaking underneath the Lord. He said, I've got a good word. Now, when you look at these six blessings, they fall into three categories. You can look at them in the ordinary, earthy category of the physical. Or you can look at them in a higher elevation of the psychological. Or you can look at them and see For what? They are at the highest level. They take place in the spiritual. For these six elements apply to all these arenas. And the first one, the Lord simply says, there's healing for the broken hearted. The Hebrew word kadash literally means to bind. It's the atadah is it tourniquet? Is that the way? Is that the way you pronounce the word tourniquet? You know, huh? Help me, Huh? Okay. Boy, I wish I could talk like you. I, I, n- I never did learn Texan. It's the bandage you apply to stop the bleeding. That's the word that is used by Isaiah. He says, I'm wrapping firmly. It's used in its usual sense just to wrap around. Wrap around what? The brokenhearted. The term literally means, it's a psychological term, to be devastated to be shattered you receive something which almost blows your mind the Lord said I've come to wrap something around those who are shattered he wraps the bandage of grace He wraps the bandage of love. He wraps the bandage of hope. He wraps the bandage of peace. So that our physical sense of well-being, and as you get older, you become more cognizant of physical needs. And yet, you have this wonderful promise. As your days, so shall your strength also. But Lord, the Lord said, do you know how old you are? The old grey donkey ain't what it used to be. And it never was much. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. But it's a psychological term. It indicates to invade with peace to bring to rest to enable you to relax, but it's a spiritual term I could spend a lot of time in those three areas but I don't have time in the realm of the spirit those who have been hurt in the psychological term those are being crushed. God says, i got a West, i got something for you. I'm going to wrap my grace, I'm going to wrap my arms around you. But it goes further. Not only is it healing for the brokenhearted, and the psalm is it said it this way in Psalm 147 He heals the brokenhearted. And he binds up their wounds. You know, those three areas are evidenced by the apostle Paul in his experience in Acts twenty-seven. They did not see for fourteen days without any sign of the sun, except the boisterous wind. And after fourteen days. Paul gets a messenger. And so he called the ship guys together and said, Hey, I got a word for you. He spoke to them physically, spiritually, and psychologically. Spiritually, they'd lost hope, they'd given up, they despaired of their life. Paul said, you're not going to die. You're going to live. Who said, I had an angel last night. And then he said, uh, he spoke to him physically. You better eat something because you haven't eaten for 14 days. Boy, that was a rough trip. I don't want to go on those kind of cruises. And he spoke to them, psychologically. That's someone who knows where you're at. That's someone who knows what you're going through. That's someone who experiences what you're experiencing. And he's come to help you! That's what Jesus meant. He's come to heal the broken-hearted, But... He gives liberty to the captive. You know that one. The release from the darkness. Luke uses it in the term of the blind being able to see. Friend, we know physically the Lord healed blind people. In fact, that's one of the messianic signs that he would heal. A man born blind, or heal he, a person born blind. He did it. But what about spiritually? Because there are the first thing that happens in the realm of the spirit, when you get born again, is you begin to appreciate heavenly things. Paul said it this way. The natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit because it's spiritually discerned. And there's a hint given to us in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light. That's the first thing. Then the second thing. He divided the waters from the waters and he called that which is above heaven. The moment you receive light through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you begin to become aware of heavenly things, things which did not make sense to you before. So if you say, yeah, I understand that. I remember when I was a student, which is a long, 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 long time ago, one of my colleagues was a supposed atheist. But he went through a crisis and he accepted Jesus. And having accepted Jesus, we didn't know anything about it. But he came back to class on Monday and, and he was talking. And another friend of mine and I looked at him and said, Good, grief. He sounded like a preacher. The guy said, but did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know this? What have you been reading? The guy said, I gave my life to Jesus last Wednesday. And I've been reading the word. He said, you know that word makes sense? Said, so, yeah, we, we we've known that for a long time. He said, Yeah, but you didn't tell me. Yes, we did, we told you, but because you were dead, you didn't understand it. But now that you've come alive, you begin to appreciate the thing is the spirit. Friend, don't just live in the arena of the carnal or just the flesh, or just the psychological. Left your spirit soul. I've come to minister the Lord said to the release, to give sight to the blind. One of the problems that the devil has or one of the problems the devil inflicts upon us is that he keeps on giving us a poor image of ourselves. He keeps on reminding us of our past instead of reminding us of our future. Friend, you are not what your past says. You are not what you did in the past. Then you were a child of the devil. But now you become a child of God. And because you're a child of God, he expects you to understand your identity and the reality of your relationship. You are a part of his family. I need to close. He ends his message by simply speaking of to offer the acceptable year of the Lord to that small community of Nazareth, having given five dynamic promises he concludes by simply speaking of the acceptable year of God's favor. <laughs> favor. We are bombarded by paganism of Greece on our left, if you're looking north. We are plagued by Roman power on our right. Yeah. It's the exact year of God's favor because Yeshua has come. I want you to know this morning, friend, whatever you stand in need of, he's more than able to supply. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, he's come. He's sure he's come to minister. Just whisper the name Jesus.